This is the Chapel Real Estate Show, episode number five. Welcome to the Chapel Real Estate Show, your source for the latest real estate information so you can buy, sell, and invest with the best in Texas. Whether you're a first-time buyer, a current homeowner, or a seasoned investor, you've come to the right place. We're here to simplify all things real estate so you can achieve your goals of property ownership with your hosts, Daniel and Roger Chapel. What's up, everybody? I hope everyone's day is off to a great start. Thank you for checking into the Chapel Real Estate Show, where we discuss all things real estate so that you can buy, sell, and invest with the best. I'm your host, Daniel Chapel, And I'm your co-host, Roger Chapel. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the show. So let me kick things off by thanking all of you who have taken the time to listen to our podcast and for sharing it with your friends and family. Our mission at Chapel Realty Group is to enhance the lives of the people we serve by cultivating meaningful relationships with them and guiding them through their real estate journeys. And your willingness to refer us is what makes our mission possible. So thank you guys for joining us on this journey to creating the best content for our listeners and leave us your feedback so that we can hear what you guys want to hear about next. Now, today's topic is one that you guys definitely need to hear about because in today's market, which is so saturated with buyers, not all offers and loan programs are created equally. So today, what we're going to be talking about is some of the several different ways that you can present offers to a seller, and some of them are going to be more attractive than others. So that's the main topic of the day. So dad, uh, why don't we jump in right away and just talk about what are the different ways that a buyer can write an offer to a seller? Uh, yeah, so initially, one would think that, you know, you just present an offer, as in it, it gets typed up, there's a bunch of little language in there, and then you send it over to the listing agent and you wait a few hours and you'll get confirmation that yes or no. Well, that may have worked about a year ago. That is no longer the case. So now what we're seeing is multiple offers at just about every price point. And mind you, we're in Central Texas. So as, uh, as you and I know, Daniel, I mean, in Central Texas right now, every single little pocket around here, everything is ending up in multiple offers. So as a listing agent or a buyer's agent, then we as professionals have to be cognizant of what it is that we're looking for, which is the purpose of our podcast today. So some of the ways that we can, uh, some of the different methods that are used uh, to submit offers are some of the different loan programs, if you will. First of all, cash is king. So we have a lot of buyers out there that are paying cash for these properties. Even as low as interest rates are today, cash is still among one of the uh, the top ways that people are, are presenting offers. Second is a conventional loan. Conventional loan means that uh, the buyer is putting anywhere between five and 20% down typically. Interest rates are so low right now, it's just phenomenal. So if folks have the credit score and they have the cash, then conventional is typically the way to go. And then finally, you have the government-backed loans, which are FHA, USDA, and VA loans. So and we're gonna get into some details about each of those loan programs here in a little bit. But uh, suffice it to say that the government-backed loans are a little bit more difficult and a little more complicated and uh, may cause a few more problems, if you will, uh, than conventional or cash loans. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's something that we see a lot in, in the business. You know, cash and conventional loans, or rather not loans, cash offers are, are always going to be the best possible option because, you know, they, they don't have any... Uh, 
attachments to them. Usually it's, Hey, this is the money. I have proof that I have the money and there's not going to be any kind of a third party. Who's going to tell me that I can't purchase this property. Um, so that to me is the biggest differentiator is there's no third party involved um, versus conventional FHA, VA and USDA. You're going to have a third party who's actually providing you with the funds to make the purchase. So then you have another decision maker in the process. So naturally you're going to have a little bit more work to do. Um, so government-backed loans, who typically are going to be the ones that are going to be falling back on government-backed loans? Who's going to use those types of loans? That's a great question. Typically, it's going to be your first-time buyers. Uh, and a first-time buyer is defined as any person who has not owned a single-family home, a primary residence, or any home in the last three years. So if you're an investor that does not own your own home, but you own investment properties, that doesn't count. You're not a first-time buyer. A first-time buyer typically is only uh, a buyer who has not owned a single-family home in the last three years, okay? Now, you're also looking at veterans uh, for the VA-type uh, loans, and then folks who need a little bit of leeway as far as credit scores. They may not have perfect credit, but they've got pretty decent credit. Uh, they've got the income. So with some of these other loans, uh, you know, also attached to the, the FHA loan, for example, uh, lenders on occasion are able to find some down payment assistance programs that go along with those. So uh, I don't want people to, to watch this or listen to this podcast and think, oh my God, there's no way I can get a house. No, that's not true. You just have to be patient. We're going to get into a little bit more of that here in just a little while. Okay, great, great. Um, so from your experience in real estate, has it always been this difficult to get a government-backed loan offer accepted? No, this is the exception. So what we saw is after COVID hit, there was such a dynamic that took place that, I mean, no expert that I've ever talked to has had any idea this was going to happen or how to predict what happened. So basically what in essence was uh, interest rates took a nosedive and as such, we had a number of buyers turn around and immediately start refinancing their homes or qualifying for various loans. And they started buying up every property that was available. But at the same time, we have people who had their homes on the market for the resale, and then they didn't want people with potentially carrying COVID to walk through the house, so they took their homes off the market. So okay. that made a small or strong, uh, I mean, for the last couple of years anyway in Austin or in the Austin area, we've had uh, a very strong seller's market anyway. Well, now it's gotten to be just rock solid seller's market, uh, mainly because we have no inventory. So when our resale inventory decreased, we started noticing that all of the new home inventory decreased as well. So with that, uh, it's, it's created quite a quagmire for uh, first-time buyers, especially in the resale market. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, that was a great start to, to the show. So that kind of gives you a little bit of information about what we're going to be covering. So let's go ahead and dive into the chapel chunk for the day. So today's chapel chunk is going to be to find yourself a realtor with some gusto. This business is not immune to market shifts and it takes 
you know, some real grit and hard work to work through some of the more difficult markets like today's. So find yourself an agent who loves what they do and is in the business of serving people because they're going to be the ones who are going to have the relationships and the connections with other agents and sales representatives, title companies, lenders, and all these different people in the real estate business who can help you to facilitate a transaction in today's extremely competitive market. So that is going to be your chapel chunk. Find yourself a realtor who loves what they do um, and, is, and is willing to go the extra mile for you. So moving into today's show, um, Dad, let's kind of backtrack for a second. So you mentioned a little bit ago the different offer types that you can use, or rather uh, loan types and methods that you can use to submit offers to sellers. But let's get into a little bit more detail. So, um, you know, we've used the term government back loans a couple of times. So what exactly is a government back loan? So a government back loan is basically the FHA, the USDA, or the VA insures the loan against uh, or insure, insures the mortgage uh, for the buyer. So basically what happens is if something happens and a buyer at some point is unable to afford their loan, well, then these other loan programs will come in and uh, pick that up. However, uh, that, that kind of protects the mortgage company, but that's it. It protects the mortgage company. It doesn't really protect the buyer because if you go into default and you lose the house, then you still lose the house. It still negatively impacts your credit and that sort of thing. But then it goes into a foreclosure and then a different process occurs, but it does protect the investment that the financial institution is making on behalf of this uh, particular buyer. Okay. So there's a lot of intricate details into that, that uh, it's much better suited for a lender to answer than, than I am. I mean, like I've told you many times before, we, we buy and sell the properties I leave the loan stuff up to the lenders. That's their expertise. But this kind of gives us a little bit of an idea. Uh, and that's all this is. This is not intended to be uh, the panacea. This is exactly, this is it. These are the facts. No, that's not necessarily true. Uh, I'm giving you what I know and then leave it up to a lender to give you the actual answer. Absolutely. And guys, stay tuned for later episodes because one of these days we're going to have one of our lenders that we, we do a lot of work with on the episode where we can get into this stuff in a little bit more detail and you can kind of hear the information directly from the horse's mouth, as they say, right? <laughs> uh, so, uh, you know, it, it, from our experience, we've seen that other types of loan like FHA and VA are a little bit more difficult to work with. So let's uh, hone in on VA for a second. If there's any listeners out there who may be veterans and want to take advantage of this kind of loan program, why? Uh, let's talk about why VA loans sometimes look a little bit less attractive than maybe a conventional cash or other type of offer. So with VA loans, uh, what I have found is that most sales agents, most, most uh, real estate agents are not as educated about the process of a VA loan as they should be. So sometimes a listing agent will receive one of these offers and they're immediately intimidated by it because they think, oh my God, they've heard some horrific story from another agent somewhere about how hard it is or how difficult it is to work with a VA. So just like any government program, if you want to screw something up, put the federal government in charge of it. There's so much bureaucracy. And, you know, I, I really appreciate what the federal government has done for the VA. I, too, am a veteran. So I have used my VA benefits a couple of times. So I understand exactly what that's all about. However, uh, for as good as they are, sometimes it's they get in their own way. The VA gets in its own way. And what do I mean by that? So we get a house under contract 
the first thing, one of the many things that, that the VA requires is what we call a WDI inspection. WDI is wood destroying insects. That means they're going to inspect for termites and they're going to inspect for ants and things like that uh, to make sure that the home is still safe. They're also going to look for health and safety issues. So that's always a good thing, right? The trouble is, is that when an appraiser comes through the house to do the appraisal, they're also doing a health and safety inspection. So when they go through to do that inspection, they may come back with some repairs that are required to be conducted by the seller. The trouble with that is, is that the seller is not allowed to throw money at it. What that means is if it's gonna cost them 300000 or $300 in repairs, they can't pay the money for the repairs. They actually have to get the repair completed. So, and it doesn't matter the dollar amount. Uh, whatever the repair is that comes back on the appraisal has to actually be completed. And then the appraiser has to go back out there and inspect it again, which causes a delay. The other thing too, is that typically for a VA or USDA loan or an FHA loan is the time to close. You know, a regular conventional cash loan, cash loan, they could close, or cash, they could close in as little as two weeks most of the time. Whereas with a, cat, a conventional loan, it may take up to 30 days. And again, that is always subject to lenders uh, and their workload, to be honest with you. They'll get so overwhelmed that they may not be able to close in 30 days on conventional, but they'll try. Mm -hmm. With these other loan programs, you're looking at 45 to 60 days to close, especially now. So with that, as soon as a listing agent gets that, they're thinking, okay, I've got a conventional loan that can close in 30 days, and I've got a VA or an FHA loan that closes in 45 days. Well, automatically, that's going to, those federally backed loans are going to the side, and I'm going to look at the conventional because typically the seller wants their money sooner rather than later. So that's just one of many things. The other thing too is that specifically with VA, the veteran is not allowed to pay for certain, uh, certain things uh, in, a, in a transaction. So some of those costs get passed on to the seller. So initially the seller's profits uh, are gonna start dwindling, not dramatically, but enough to where it does make a difference between some of these other uh, loan programs or, or conventional loans. Yeah, and I think too, uh, the other thing to, to kind of take note when you're talking about slightly longer timeframes with closings is that, you know, as the seller, the difference between 30 and 45 days could very well mean another mortgage payment, which is another, you know, exactly. another investment into the property that you're already going to be moving out of. So, um, yeah, I mean, shorter timeframes for closing definitely could be a you know, again, it's going to depend on the seller and what their needs are. And if you're working with a good agent, they'll know to reach out to the, the listing agent to find out what does the seller need. And sometimes it could be the time frame thing. Sometimes it can't. Um, so, you know, again, finding yourself a realtor who's willing to go that extra mile and find out what they can do to, uh, to make your offer more attractive. If you can't come up with conventional or cash, uh, cash offers, you know, go in that little extra mile to figure out what they can do. Um, so that talks about VA. So what about FHA? FHA loans can tend to be a little bit less attractive sometimes as well. So, um, you know, I know some of the things that you mentioned with VA can also apply to FHA, but what about some other stuff that's unique to FHA? So with FHA, one of the things that I've noticed, and this, I've actually had a couple of instances where these issues came up. Um, so for most federally backed loans, um, for example, the windows, the downstairs windows all have to have uh, screens. Additionally, upstairs windows are only allowed to open a certain distance and that changes. So I don't know what it is today. It could be two, three, four inches or whatever. Uh, but there has to be safety places, safety uh, pins or something in place to prevent those windows from opening too far. Uh, they, they do that typically for, for ch uh, children. 
But mm -hmm. on a conventional or a cash loan, none of that matters. Uh, FHA, one of their big things is flooring. So I had this come up once before. It's been a couple of years ago. So this could have changed, but I, I really don't know for sure. But so for a lot of homes um, today, uh, some of the builders are going to stain concrete. Well, according to FHA, for a house to be completed, it has to have flooring. Well, stained concrete is not considered flooring under FHA standards, or it used to not be. It may have changed to that now, but I had a buyer who was uh, pre-approved for uh, uh, FHA, and we were rolling down the road until they got to the appraisal and the inspection, and there was no flooring, according to FHA standards, throughout the entire house. It was all stained concrete. So uh, they did uh, eventually wind up being able to purchase that home, but that was one of the big uh, hiccups, and they had to get special approval, and it delayed closing for another two weeks. And that was on new construction. Mm -hmm. So imagine being a new construction. Imagine going through a house. If there's carpet missing in a place that a room had carpet, then the flooring has to be replaced. It can't just be staining the concrete anymore. Now it actually has to have new carpet in it or some other type of flooring uh, to satisfy FHA standards. So that's just one of many. Uh, health and safety is another, another thing. Uh, for example, the... Um, Smoke detectors, uh, carbon monoxide detectors, things like that, all have to be in place and functioning. If they're not, that will come up on a, not only on an inspection report, but it will also likely come up in a, the health and safety inspection, which is also done by the appraiser. And then finally, with all government loans, government-backed loans, they have to meet appraisal. What does that mean? So if you submit an offer, and let's assume that we're in multiple offer situations, because this is what we find most common in today's market. We have a number of uh, uh, multiple offers that come in. Let's, let's assume there's, and I'm actually transitioning to our next section here, but we, we've received 20 offers on a house. So as a listing agent, when I take, uh, take 20 offers, I've got 20 offers that I've got to present to my seller. And mind you, I will present all 20 offers to my seller. So I get these offers and I start taking a look at them and I document it, wait, and I have a certain a special way that I present multiple offers like this, I will put everything together and then I will talk about what type of a loan it is. And depending on the property, this could be very important. As a listing agent, it's also my job to know whether or not a home will qualify for these various federal back loans or else I shouldn't be listing it as such on the MLS. Mm -hmm. So what does that mean? That means I've also done an inspection or walked around the house myself and I've seen some of the, the issues that may or may not come up. And I've pointed those out to the seller. We've also agreed or disagreed about, about these different loans and whatnot, what we need to do to get the house up to, up to par. Once that is all done, then we list it and we include FHA, VA, USDA loans or federally backed loans, uh, as well as conventional or cash. Now, all of that said, we have all of these offers that come in. Let's assume I've got two cash offers. I've got a uh, conventional offer, maybe two or three conventional offers. And th those are all at listing price or above. Uh, and along with those four offers, I also have appraisal waivers. That is very important, the appraisal waiver. What that means is that the buyer is willing to pay the difference and whatever the appraisal is or whatever money they have to put down. In a cash deal, they don't care. They want to pay cash for the house, they're going to pay cash for that house. All of it. They don't care about appraisal typically. Although I have seen some cash buyers do appraisals, so they know basically what they're buying. But in most instances, they don't do that. But on a conventional loan, they will have it. 
So let's assume for the sake of argument that we have a house uh, that was listed for 325. The top offer that we're going with is 350. And let's assume that now we have all these other offers, including USDA and uh, FHA and VA. We've got all three of these loans because this property qualifies for all of those. So we have all these loans in front of us. And now we're looking at, okay, uh, as I'm presenting them to the sellers, I have to explain to them what the nuances are behind these things. Now, mind you, any of the federally backed loans, they cannot waive the appraisal. When I have my first conversation with my seller, I explain to them, 325 is a fair price. I think that it'll appraise for somewhere between 300 and 325, because uh, I typically will give them a range of what I think it, it might appraise for. Mind you, I'm not an appraiser, so I can't give them a true market value. What I can tell them is that in today's market, the data indicates that it should sell between 300 and 325. Now, if we get an offer in at 350, that's a USDA loan, or it's a VA loan, or it's an FHA loan, I automatically am going to assume we're going to have problems with the appraisal. Why? Because I don't have any data from any other sales that supports a 350 price. I do have data that supports a 325 price, but not 350. So what that means is, is 25 days from now, when the appraisal comes in, we're going to have to renegotiate that. And on an FHA loan in particular, that appraisal stays with that house for the next six months. So for a seller, that's not a very good thing because guess what? If they don't agree to that price, if it comes in at 325 and a seller says, I'm not selling it for 325 no matter what, well, now they got to put it back on the market. Well, guess what? They can't sell to FHA buyers because that, that they can, but they'll have to drop the price to 325. They can't sell it for 350. Mm -hmm. So then that puts the seller in a bad position. Whereas if you've got uh, the conventional or the, uh, the cash loans, they waive the appraisal. They don't care what it appraises for, or they can take the additional 25,000 to closing. Uh, then that's, that's a no brainer. Right? You just can't go with these federally backed loans and all of the federally backed loans cannot waive the appraisal. So even if they sign an appraisal waiver, guess what? They still can't waive the appraisal. No matter what they say, they can't do it. The lender is not going to allow that. So for a seller, it's just not a good idea uh, for these types of loans. Yeah. And that provision is built into the third-party financing addendum. So when you're working with government-backed yes. loans, yeah, it, it flat out tells you this isn't a request of the buyer. This is the lender requiring that the property meet the sale price that it's under contract for. If not, that buyer or that seller is going to have to make up the difference and that doesn't behoove the seller if they've got another opportunity that's right next to them that shows, hey, we don't care what the appraisal says. <laughs> right. So one of the other things too uh, that I meant to mention is not only does the buyer have to meet certain requirements to be able to qualify for these loans, but the properties also have to qualify as well. So for USDA, for example, USD loans, USDA loans are meant specifically for properties that are in rural areas where it used to be farmland or ranch land or something along those lines. And there's a way for a buyer to be able to, or this property rather, to be able to qualify for a USDA loan. So uh, uh, FHA also, I mentioned specifically about some of the inspection requirements. VA as well, VA uh, in Texas, there's a number of different programs, not just VA, that have the Texas Veterans Land Board in which a veteran can borrow money uh, and purchase land uh, that does not have to be developed. 
uh, they can purchase it for agricultural or hunting or whatever they want to do with it. Uh, but there are programs out there specifically for veterans in that, in that regard. But remember, all of these, not just the properties, uh, or not just the buyers, but the properties also have to qualify for these, these federally backed loans. Makes sense. Makes sense. So we've kind of alluded to this a couple of times, as well as the chapel chunk, you know, having a realtor that's going to be able to assist you in getting all this stuff done, who's familiar with the process, the different uh, contingencies that come along with different types of loan programs and things like that. So what are some of the things that you and your realtor can do to position yourselves uh, a little bit better in to find a home using a government backed loan in today's competitive market? That's a great question. So there's a number of things that we can do. Number one is but the, the buyer's agent needs to have a serious conversation with their buyers and be realistic about today's market. So what I mean by that is, I mean, to, to be perfectly honest, in most of the homes today, uh, people who have federally backed loans just can't compete with conventional and cash. They can't compete. So since they can't compete, they obviously can't get these, these homes. So that, as a buyer's agent, I need to be upfront and realistic with my buyers about that situation, because that is a fact. And it's not something that I can do to change the market. It is a fact. It is what it is. It's an unfortunate reality uh, that was created by a number of factors, not just the pandemic, uh, although that is a, a part of it. That's not all of it. So uh, the interest rates are, are what's driving most of that, or at least a major part of it. So you just have to be realistic. Number two, the buyer needs to be truly committed to buying a home. What does that mean? So I know you're going to get frustrated. And many of my buyers have been extremely frustrated on numerous occasions, and rightfully so, because it's extremely difficult. You submit an offer on a home that you fall in love with, and you don't get it. And then you do it again and again and again. And now you're on your sixth offer. You still haven't got a house and it's getting extremely frustrating. I understand that frustration more than you know. However, that's just the way the market is today. So hang in there, hang tough. It just too shall pass. At some point, we're going to see a little bit of a shift. And once we see just that little bit of a shift, it won't be long before we see even a further and further and further shift. And it's, it, it's gradual. It's over time. It's not going to be like flipping a light switch. Uh, at least I wouldn't expect it to be. If it did happen that way, I would be quite surprised and pleasantly surprised, I might add. But I think it's going to be a gradual change. So just keep that in mind uh, and, and hang tight. Finally, submit the offer and make sure that your agent submits the offer for you. Don't be afraid of doing that. Don't be afraid of being told no, because listen to me. If you don't submit the offer, then you don't have a shot at the house. Why not make them tell you no? And not only that, you may find a sympathetic seller out there because you mentioned to this, you mentioned this before, Daniel, in that um, sometimes it's not about, it's not always about the money for the seller. Sometimes they really do want to help somebody else. And they're tired of also seeing this conventional and this uh, uh, cash buyer being able to dominate the market, whereas people who really are looking to, to better their lives and enhance their livelihood are unable to do so due to circumstances well beyond their control. So a lot of the buyers that we work with that, that qualify for these types of loans, they're good, hardworking people. 
They've done what they can to save as much money as they can to be able to put themselves in the best financial situation possible. Unfortunately, it's something that's completely out of their control that forces them to continue to wait, continue to waste money on rent. That's not a good thing for them. It's not a good thing for the market. So don't be afraid. Go ahead and submit the offer. And then yeah. finally, uh, finally, one of the, the important things to remember is your agent should know all of the ins and outs and all of the intricate details in your offer that can make your standout stronger than some of the others that are similar to it. So you want to make sure that happens. And I'm hearing uh, in Texas, this isn't the case yet, but I'm hearing in some of the other states like California, uh, submitting a, a, what we call a love letter with your offer is no longer allowed in California, or at least in, in uh, certain locations in California. Here in Texas, it is still allowed. Uh, and I can tell you that the, those letters do work. Uh, what they do is they allow the seller to read your letter and understand what your situation is and what you intend to do with the property. Sometimes that works. Excuse me. Sometimes it doesn't. But uh, it is one other thing that you could do. I don't discourage my buyers from doing that. I don't encourage them to do that. I do throw it out there as an idea. If they feel that that might help them, uh, then by all means, knock, knock your lights out. It's always worth it. Uh, so, yeah, I think a, a lot of sellers out there take comfort in the fact that the next person moving into what used to be their home is going to turn it into their own, right? We always say when you're selling your house, you're not selling your home anymore. You're selling the house. You're taking it from a home, turning it back into a house so that somebody else can see themselves living there. And, uh, I, you know, I think a lot of sellers maybe not all sellers, but a lot of sellers would take comfort in the fact of knowing that, you know, another family is going to move into that house to create their memories there. So um, yeah, it can definitely make a, make a little bit of a difference. So what would you say about, uh, you know, other options for buyers? You know, we know that the resale market is incredibly competitive for buyers right now, and it makes it very difficult to get under contract um, just because your offers with government-backed loans don't stand out as much as cash and conventional offers. So um, how would you say that's impacting the, the new construction market? You know, are, are uh, government-backed loans still having a good chance of, you know, being able to get into a new build timeframe, even though these timeframes are a little bit longer right now? That's a great question. So what I have seen is, you know, we're running out of space to build homes around Central Texas. So uh, and not only are we running out of space, we're running out of material. So uh, what I'm seeing now is a lot of these builders are only releasing a certain number of lots per month because they just don't have the material to build on uh, or to build with. They don't, they're only releasing maybe three, four, five lots, 10 lots a month, but they've got a buyer interest of you know, 50, 60, 100, 200 people who are looking to buy just these four or five lots. So uh, there's uh, some, it depends on the builder and what their process is. So some of them uh, have some sort of a lottery system that they're doing. Uh, or they have waiting lists for various uh, uh, manners or another. So uh, always check with the, the check with your agent first of all. They should know which builders are doing what uh, in your area. Uh, hopefully they figure that out and they know what to do with that. The other thing too is um, for new homes, if you're able to to qualify for the loan and you're able to actually get one of these lots and be able to build on it. It may take you six, eight months before you can actually move in, but overall, you're gonna be in a much better position. Yes, it may take you a while to get moved in, 
but at least you're going to be, uh, you, you have a house that you can move into and eventually you're going to stop paying all that rent to somebody else. And then finally, and this actually happened to me last week, you know, maybe two weeks ago. So I have an FHA buyer, we're looking at new construction and uh, you know, we're told that on February 1st, they will release these four lots and they have a waiting list. My folks are already pre-qualified. They actually went through their lender and got pre-qualified as well. So they're ready to rock and roll. So I had set up an appointment for us to go and take a look, actually look at some of these homes and they'd already selected two floor plans that they really liked. Well, while we were out there, I found out that a home that had been completed uh, and was supposed to close that day, fell out of contract an hour before we got there. It hadn't even been released to the public yet. Suddenly, my buyers, they fall in love with the house, they fall in love with the lot, and the next day we're under contract for that house. So the relationship that I had with that particular sales agent is what allowed this to happen. And to be honest with you, sometimes too, it's about luck. We happened to actually be there at the right time when that particular piece of property became available. Uh, but had I not had that relationship, I don't think that that sales agent would have uh, shared that information with me to begin with. So uh, I, a lot of it is timing and sometimes it's better to be lucky than good. But at the same time, I do go out and create relationships with these sales agents from all these builders because you just never know. You create a good enough relationship with them. They may actually give me a, uh, a heads up when something's going to hit the market so that I can get with my other buyers and maybe sell it before it has a chance to, to jump out there in front of the rest of the public. Yeah. Well, you know, you say, you say it's not, or you say it's a little bit of luck, but man, I, I'll tell you, I think it's a little bit different. I think, you know, there's three kinds of people in the world. There's the people that saw what happened. There's the people that heard what happened and there's the people that made it happen. So to me, <laughs> as a realtor, you got to be the guy that makes the stuff happen. So your relationships with That's those true. people knowing the right people and being there for your buyers is what made that, that situation possible for you. So well, guys, that pretty much wraps up our episode for the day. Um, you know, I want to thank everybody again for tuning into the show. We really love providing you with as much information as we possibly can. So let us know what you want to hear about. We'd love to hear your feedback. Um, leave us your reviews on uh, the Apple Podcast app, Spotify. Um, share it with your friends. We're also on YouTube. Follow us on social media at Chapel Realty Group. And catch us on the next show next week. We'd love to hear from you guys. And we'll see you next time. Take care. Thank you for joining us this week on the Chapel Real Estate Show. If you enjoyed this episode, share it with a friend and leave us a review. Find us on social media at Chapel Realty Group and online at chapelrealtygroup.com. Until next time.